Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50. We're going to be looking this morning at the third servant song of Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 9. So let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me, who will deliver me from guilt. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Most gracious Father, as we look once again at your word, I ask that you will strengthen me, that I might proclaim your word clearly and accurately that it might be a life-giving word as your spirit works even through the preaching this morning. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as we've been looking at these servant songs of Isaiah, there's one more to go that Jay will preach next week, which is the one that we're most familiar with in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. There's a lamb before his shears is silent, so he uttered not a word and, and all of that. But these other three, we, we've seen some incredible things in. In the first, we saw that this servant was going to come and bring justice. And that showed us a pattern of how we are to wait now, that, that even now, as we are united to him by faith, we are to be people who are for justice. Last week, we saw in Isaiah 49 that he was going to come and be a light to the nations, be this Messiah for the entire world. And so even as he is our Messiah, we are to come and announce that the light for the nations has come. This week, we're going to see that this Messiah, this servant who was announced so long ago, was announced as one who would face suffering. And yes... What we're going to see as we learn how to wait even now is that as we're united to him by faith, we too suffer with our eyes set on God. And he too will sustain us. So even as we hear about the suffering of Christ this morning from this Old Testament passage, we are taught to wait even now in this time that is so very full of suffering for so many different reasons. So as we look at this, and as we look at this song, we see kind of four sections to it. There's the preparation for ministry, the practice of ministry, the preservation in ministry, and the proving of ministry. 
So first, the preparation for ministry in verse 4. We read, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear. And here as we come to this, what we see about the servant is that he was coming with the word of God. He was coming as one who had been instructed in and who had heard the word of God that he could announce to the people of God and give rest to those who were weary. It was a comforting and strengthening and life-giving word that he had heard and that he was coming to announce to his people. This is how he was prepared. And, and it's interesting for us to think about the servant being prepared because when we think about Jesus, we're like, well, he's fully God. How did he need to be prepared? But as we look at the New Testament, we read, for instance, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There was growth in Jesus' life. It's not that, that he somehow had to grow into being God. He was fully God and fully man. And, and there's all the mystery that, that comes with that union between these two persons, there, or these two natures, rather. I almost committed a, a wild heresy. Uh, between these two natures that exist in this one person. And there's mystery there. But we see that Jesus grew and learned and gained wisdom. And we see in the book of Hebrews that he gained wisdom and learned obedience through suffering. He who was the word of God came and learned, even as the word of God, that he might serve his people and do all that he had come to do. And indeed, the very words that Jesus announces to his people, to you and I, are these, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Isn't this exactly what Isaiah was picturing for us in this servant? That I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Him who is worn out from all of the, the trying to get there, from, from all of the attempts to, to satisfy God, from, from all of the attempts to, to keep his law perfectly, knowing that we can't do it, knowing that we fail repeatedly, knowing that we struggle, knowing that our flesh wins so often. From, for all of those who struggle just with life, and the pain and the suffering that comes with life in a fallen world. Who were worn out by the toilsome nature of work in a fallen world. Who were worn out by the tensions of relationships that we want to be better. But we struggle. All of those who were weary. It is to you that Christ, the servant of Isaiah, comes with the word of God to announce to you that there is rest to be had in him. That there is comfort to be had in him. This was the word he was given. And it's the word that he gives to us. This is how he was prepared for ministry. 
And so as we think about how we now learn to wait and and how we are prepared to go out into the world as the children of God and minister to those, how is it that we are prepared? It's the same way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the words that we have to go out and to announce this rest to those who are weary and to announce the comfort of justification, of forgiveness of sins, of adoption into the family of God. It is this word of the gospel that Christ came announcing that we now have to go out and announce. And so one way that we wait is by ourselves being prepared by the word that we might have a word, even as Christ did for us. The second thing we see in verses 5 through 6 is the practice of ministry. And indeed, this is a more difficult point. I'll read these verses again for us. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turn not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Here we see that this servant who would come would face suffering, intense personal attacks, intense physical suffering, intense spiritual suffering in his life. And he would face this because of what he was coming to do. He would face this because of the preparation of ministry in the word of God. He would face this because of his faithfulness to God, his father, and his word. He would suffer righteously at the hands of the unrighteous. And indeed, this is why he came. We read in John 6.38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that will was to give his son, even unto suffering, even unto death, that we might have life. To give his son to be beaten and spit on and crucified and mocked. To give his son to have a crown of thorns driven into his head. To give his son at birth to have to flee with his family because the present earthly king wanted to destroy him. To give his son to suffer for you and I. That's why he came. So we would know how far he'd go in order to show us love. This is what Christ came to do. And we read the great Christ hymn in Philippians 2, which begins this way, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most shameful way you could die, a way that you were displayed in in all of your, your inglorious suffering for everyone to see. As you physically hung there, unable to take another breath until you died. But of course, we know the story of Christ and 
His suffering wasn't confined to just the cross, was it? The world hated him. The religious powers that were hated him. The demons hated him. Satan hated him. One of his own disciples betrayed him. His was a life of suffering. And here's the reality of our life as well. He tells us in the book of John, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Sometimes we forget that this is the normal reality for Christians between or, or until the second coming of Christ. We live as strangers in a strange land right now. We live as those whose loyalties lie beyond anything we see here in the kingdom of heaven. We live as those who seek to serve and honor and worship something far beyond what we have here. Someone far greater than what we have here. We live as those whose lives are defined not by the wisdom of this world and not by the goals and the priorities of this world, but by the goals and the priorities and the wisdom of the kingdom of God as the spirit of Christ works in us. That's how we are to live. This is why when we find ourselves as the church walking in lockstep with the world in such a way that the world doesn't bat an eye about our existence, there's cause for question. There's cause for concern. If the world is completely fine with us, we should ask some hard questions of ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean we run out and cause problems just for the sake of saying, well, the world's not fine with me now. No, no, no. Not at all. It's not that easy. We must run after Christ. And when we do, what we will find inevitably is the world that hated him will hate us as well. And this is the normal Christian life, brothers and sisters. This is the normal Christian life. This is the life that our Savior lived. This is the life he promised us. A life of suffering. It's the life for which he was born and to which he gave himself for the sake of others. So what do we do? How do we live in this time between these two worlds in this time of suffering. Well, the passage that Rob read for us from Jeremiah 29 is, is quite instructive. We build houses. We marry and have children. We give our children in marriage. We seek the good of the city. Why? Because in its good is our good. And we do all of this in the name of Christ and in the face of suffering. Our goal isn't to escape and cloister off and avoid all possible suffering and, and turmoil in this life. But in light of these other servant songs that we've heard, go out and do justice, go out and shine the light, go out and do those things, knowing that it will cause suffering, 
even as it did for our Savior. Even as it did for our Savior. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have in our nation to worship freely and together in gatherings like this and like so many others happening right now all over our city, all over our nation. Truly, I am grateful for that. But sometimes I fear that the ease with which we can worship leads to laziness in our following Christ. There was no such option for Jesus. He hid not his face from disgrace and spitting. He didn't turn back from God's word. He gave himself to those who would strike him. But in verse 7, we see the rest of the story. We see that though the practice of ministry was suffering, God preserved him in that. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. This is interesting, isn't it? Because as we we look at this and and think about what it is to be disgraced, certainly would think that that, being mocked is disgraceful. Being killed is disgraceful. Being spit on. I feel quite certain that that were you to spit on somebody, that's a a fairly good way to to start a fight because it's such a slight against them. It's so disgraceful. Being pursued to be killed is disgraceful. Being betrayed by, by one of your closest friends is disgraceful. So so in what sense are we to understand that God helps this servant and he has not been disgraced? I think in this sense, he wasn't finally given up by his father. Yes, he cried out, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? But then he was restored to glory. That disgrace, that shame that he faced, the shameful death of the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us, that was not the end of the story for him. But as that great Christ hymn in Philippians 2 that we started earlier ends, so God exalted him above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The disgrace that he did not have was disgrace before his father. Disgrace before the God of all creation. Why? Because he came and was prepared by the word of that one. And he came and he ministered in accord with the word of that one. And he came and he was sustained by the word of that one. And he was not disgraced before him. Sure, he was disgraced before the world. He was was spit on and mocked. They they thought they were really getting at him. They thought they were really getting to him. But they weren't. Because all of that, all of it, all of the worldly shame, all that this world could throw at him, 
was his obedience to his father. All of it was only his obedience. And so, no, he wasn't disgraced in that. Rather, God helped him in it. We are in the same position now, united to Christ in faith. This one who suffered for us, this one who bore the shame of this world for us, but wasn't disgraced before his father, this one who was finally exalted to glory, we now, united to him by faith, walk in his steps. Even as we face suffering in this life, we can be sure God helps us. And we will not be forgotten. We will not be disgraced. We will not be finally shamed. But we too who are found in Christ will be raised to glory in the last day. And in that we hope. In that we hope. And so he says, because of that, because God helped him, because he had not been disgraced, he set his face like a flint and he knew that he would not be put to shame. Do we have that confidence in the will of God? In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see this turning point in the gospel of Luke. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And everything from then on in the gospel of Luke is this downward journey to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. He set his face on the job that he had come to do. He set his face on the the task like a flint on the task that his father had given him because he knew he would be sustained. He knew he would be kept. This is the same confidence we ought to have as his children. That we can set our face like a flint on God Almighty on Christ himself and know that we will not be put to shame and know that the suffering we face in this world does not speak a truer word about us than the one who suffered for us. It doesn't separate us from God. None of those things that we fear. None of it. But we can be confident that God Almighty will keep us in the face of suffering. This is what drives us in our faith. This is what drives us to live lives of righteousness and obedience, even though they cost us dearly in this world. We know, we know that God will keep us even as he kept Christ and so in verse 8 and 9 we see the proving of Christ's ministry he who vindicates me is near who will contend with me let us stand together who is my adversary let him come near to me Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? 
Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This passage should sound somewhat familiar to us. It's echoed in the very words that we read earlier in our New Testament reading in Romans chapter 8. After this great pouring out of of the joys of the Christian life and the work of the Spirit in our life, Paul brings it all to this conclusion. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing that he faced could separate him. No charge that was levied against him stood. Nothing that people came to him with was able to end his mission. Nothing was able to undo the will of God for his life. Nothing was able to thwart God's plan for his people in Christ Jesus. No adversary was strong enough. No supposed condemnation true enough. All of it, he says, will wear out like a garment. But he will stay. And he will endure. And he will outlast all of it. And Paul echoes this language reminding us that we who are found in Christ by faith also will endure. Also will prove the trueness of the gospel in the end. Also will be kept. Also will be unable to be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even through our suffering, even through that, we prove the truth of the gospel because he sustains us in his son. This is what this servant would come and do for you and for I. This is what this baby was born for, to face suffering for the sake of his people, that we might be redeemed and that now as we wait for him to come, united to him by faith, facing suffering of our own for walking with him and all kinds of other suffering in this life, 
we can stand confident because we saw him come, suffer in this world, and not be forgotten and betrayed by his Father, but in the end, lifted up to glory. And so you will be as well if you are in Christ Jesus. So as you go out in the pattern of this servant doing justice, shining the light to the nations and facing suffering, don't doubt because nothing can separate you from his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel that we find in your word. And for the reminder that, yes, in this life, we are called to suffer and it will be hard. But you will preserve us to the end. Thereby proving your glory and your gospel for the whole world. Father, would you strengthen us by your spirit? Prepare us by your word that we might carry out this ministry Preserve us as we suffer in light of it. And prove your glory to the world, we ask in Christ's most holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.